letter of Jude is what we're going to go over this morning, the letter of Jude. So we finished up 3 John, which is just one chapter, 3 John, and, um, and also Jude is just one chapter. It is a total of 25 verses. The last time we went through uh, the letter of Jude was, um, was back in 2015 when we went through it uh, systematically, went through it, and we broke it down into three portions. But this morning, I'm going to give you just an overall look at it. We're going to study it and and see what the subject is, the point of it, and why it is that Jude wrote this letter, what he intended to write to begin with, and then what he ended up writing by the inspiration, by the very moving of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. The title of this morning's message is Contend and Persevere. Contend and Persevere. We're going to begin by reading in Jude, verses 1 through 4. So just to introduce us to the letter, and then we'll go from there. So Jude, chapter 1, verse 1, says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, we... um, Sometimes we have just a... um, a flawed perspective or thoughts in regards to the gathering of your people. For some reason, we think that perhaps as we come through those doors that we're going to enter into heaven. Lord, that perfection is going to be found on the other side of those doors. Lord, that everything is going to go without a flaw. And yet, if we would just take a moment and consider ourselves and we realize that What's flawed already came through those doors. That's us. Lord, that's us. And so, you warn us, you tell us in your word that we are to ourselves, consider ourselves, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To make sure that our thoughts are taken captive. And given over to you, Lord, that as we come to know your word, we may sift those thoughts through the screen of truth. That we would know what is of you, what glorifies you, and what doesn't. And Lord, at the same time as we are growing and learning how to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are to encourage others to do the very same thing, to teach them to follow you, to trust in you to walk with you and bless you 
with hearts of gratitude because of the love that you first demonstrated to us by sending your son to die on the cross through whom we have and by whom we have salvation, the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life with you. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to grow in our understanding of your word. Help us to be wise in discerning the days in which we're living in, in the fellowship of the saints. May we fight, Lord, to preserve the fellowship of the saints, the church, Lord, this local church, specifically us here at Refuge. May you be honored and glorified as we are studying your word. May you stir our hearts up and may your spirit teach us all things that pertain to you. I thank you, Lord, for this time. We commit it into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I, um, as I said, Jude is a brief letter. It, it's just one chapter, 25 verses. It was uh, written by a man, and this is very important as we consider even the first verse. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He starts out by referring to himself as what is known to be a doulos or a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We need to immediately, when we get to that word slave, abandon the idea that that, that we all have today is, uh, you know, which describes a slave. To some degree, it's marred. It's compromised. If it is anything other than a willing surrender of oneself to the will and joy of someone else. Because that is exactly what Jude regarded himself as, a man who personally, knowingly, willingly, joyfully surrendered himself to the will and joy of Jesus Christ. And that's why we see that word doulos, although it means slave, it is more accurately A slave, but a willing slave, one who willfully gives himself to the will of another and for that master's complete joy. Completely. You you disregard yourself, you you give your your plans, your purposes, your very will over to the Lord. And then you seek to understand what it is that pleases him, brings him joy. In fact, this is what it says in verse 24. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That that, that, um, reveals the heart of Jude. A man who willfully gave himself to the Lord to such a degree that who he was was really known in his Lord Jesus Christ. His identity. You know, oftentimes we have a, an identity crisis, don't we? we? We do. In the world, not just in the U.S., but we have, we have trouble like who we identify as, unfortunately. In Christ, there should be no identity crisis. You shouldn't be trying to figure yourself out. No midlife crisis, men. 
It used to be that you needed a, a, you know, like men reached midlife crisis. I'm trying to find my identity and trying to hold on to the to youth and and uh, cor- the Corvette used to be the thing, right? <laughs> or things. No, we ought to be content in the Lord. We ought to know our purpose. We ought to know to whom we belong to. Be content in the Lord. Joyfully give ourselves to the will of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But Jude, although he refers to himself as as a servant of Jesus Christ, we know that he is also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. We need to understand, listen, James is also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. James, Jude, his brothers and sisters, they thought he was a little... A little cuckoo. In fact, there was a time when they went to go retrieve him from a house. And he looked around and he said, these are my brothers and sisters here. These are my, this is my family, those who obey the commandments of God. Well, these same men ended up believing, knowing that Jesus was indeed the Son of God who was sent to die in their place for their sins, who became their Master, their Lord, and their Savior. Again, it, it, it's something that we, we can't look past. We need, to, we need to understand. We need to consider the fact that Jude didn't even refer to himself as the brother of Jesus Christ, but simply, I, am, I belong to him. He belongs to me. It's all that matters. Jude, by not referring to himself as the brother of Jesus, emphasized the fact that his human relationship with Jesus was of little to no importance. It wasn't even worth regarding, bringing up. What was important was his relationship to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so it is with anyone else who calls on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the only relationship worth anything eternally, salvifically. For Jude, the blood that ran down the cross for him was more important than the blood that ran in his own veins. He claimed him first and foremost as Master, as Lord, as Savior, as his God. Not as, he's my brother. Not only is it important for us to consider how he addressed himself, but also to whom he addressed this letter. To his brothers and sisters in Christ, to the followers of Jesus Christ. And this is how he referred to them in the first verse, in the second portion of that verse. It says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Called, beloved, and kept. Called by God to salvation and called to walk in good works. You know, the thing is, is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you know the whole world is called to salvation because God desires that none should perish, but that all reach repentance. All come to know repentance, confessing their sins and 
turning from those sins and turning to, to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That call is upon everyone. His shed blood was sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. Called by God. Beloved, also, number two, beloved in God the Father. <clears throat> that means <clears throat> set apart from the world and unto the Lord. Apart from the world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We need to understand that. We're pilgrims passing through. We're going home. One day we will be home. We will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior. But for now, we're coming through. And so, therefore, we are the beloved in God the Father in Christ, set apart from the world and unto God. Thirdly, he refers to the Christians, his brothers and sisters, as kept in Christ. In other words, preserved from condemnation and for glory in Jesus Christ. We need to always remember that. Always, that that would serve as an encouragement to you that when you do stumble, that you realize, you understand that even, even that stumble did not cause you to fall away from your salvation or lose your salvation. You need to quickly confess and repent for God is able to keep us. He is faithful. You see in that as he's addressing the body of Christ, as he's addressing the church, he does want to encourage their faith. And as we see here, he goes on to say, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. In other words, be in abundance within the body of Christ. Not just little portions here and there, but may every single person know the mercy of God, the peace of God, the love of God. In abundance, like just overflowing. You only know that if, if, you're, if you're pressing into the Lord, if you're spending a lot of time with Him, if you consider Him in the midst of your trials, you know that He is faithful, He is present, and He is working in that moment with you and through you perhaps. Oh, He is faithful, He is so good. But although, and he starts out that way, and he expresses what his desire was. He says in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. He, he wanted to, you know, we always want to give a word of encouragement, right? Like, hey, I just want to write about our common faith, you know. It's exciting. It is exciting. Common faith is not a common faith or, or a cheap grace. It's not that this is not what that's referring to. It's talking about something that we have in common. Right? Salvation. Uh, God's grace that we have received it through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to talk to them about. That's what he wanted to write about. But the Holy Spirit didn't allow him to write about that. He caused them... To exhort the church to contend for the faith. He was compelled to do so. A letter of exhortation to the brethren to strive, to struggle, to engage in battle for the faith. 
Again, as I remind you this morning, the time of our gathering on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, anytime we gather together as a church, these teachings and as we go through God's word is directed to the church. Everyone else who's here is an observer. It's paying attention like, what, what is it that is being taught to the church? And then they ought to see the love that we have one, for one another, that they may discern, that they may see that we belong to Jesus Christ. As Jude gave himself willingly to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, so they should see us as well in the same way. Having love for Jesus and having love for each other. And so this letter is written to the church. Hey, listen, you need to strive, struggle, and engage in battle for the faith. In other words, Jude was telling the Christians that they needed to be ready to and then engage in a wrestling match. A wrestling match. In a wrestling match, uh, where's Mario? Where's Mario? We all know Mario the wrestler right back there, right? So... You try and stay upright, right, Mario? Yeah. What happens when both shoulders go down on the mat? You get pinned. You lose, right? (laughs) If you can imagine that picture, God is calling us to wrestle, to, to fight for the faith, to contend for the faith. To not allow ourselves to be pinned down. This requires a personal engagement. Requires a personal engagement in battle against those who would attempt to overwhelm and overcome their faith. Yes, others, and that's what we read here. We're we're going to read through this. Not physically, but spiritually. We need to understand that, that this is indeed what we've been warned of by the Apostle Paul, by Jesus himself, and throughout Scripture by the Apostle Peter, by Jude. And there are other verses that we can go to. And so I want to first draw your attention to the contenders That we are called to be in Christ against those who are, and this is how I'm referring to them, as creepers and scoffers. Creepers and scoffers. But we are to be contenders. right? Contenders. Contend for the faith. Again, let's read again verse 1 and going through to verse 4. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to contend. A a contender is someone who is competing against others to achieve something. In this case, the call to contend is to achieve the preservation, the furtherance of the gospel, 
the preservation of our faith and the purity of the faith within the context of the fellowship of the saints. So we are to contend for, fight for the preservation of the purity of the fellowship of the saints. Right here, the people of God. Hey, this is referring to hard and diligent work. And it is referring, brothers and sisters, it's referring to a continuous struggle. Christianity is not a lazy man's faith. Right, Rick? It's not. We need to be aware. We need to be clear-minded, sober-minded. Because we do have elements, spiritually speaking, who are seeking to tear us down, take us into destruction, eternal hell. Or if we do belong to Christ, to make us basically useless. You know, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Let me ask you this. Before we go on, a couple things. Is your faith worth guarding and preserving? Second question. Are you a worthy contender? And are you able to contend for your faith, let alone the faith known among the brethren? In other words, you need to, are you able to contend for your faith? Like working at your, your own salvation with fear and trembling, staying the course, staying upright, and then contending for the faith amongst the brethren, the, the church. In sports, but especially as I think about boxing, you know, a champion has to consider worthy opponents, right? Whether the challenges are worthy contenders, someone who will put up a good fight. Knowing that what the champion is guarding and preserving is a title worth fighting for. For us, we're called to fight, we're called to contend. Let's not lay down our gloves and just give up. Discipline the body. Let's guard our, our thoughts, our actions, our words. Let us be aware of what is happening, discerning. That we may contend for the faith. Honor the Lord, glorify Him. In this case, the Christian is called to contend for the faith within the fellowship of the saints. Again, the local church, I want to emphasize the local church, Refuge Bible Fellowship right here in Riverside, California. Each and every one of you who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you're called to contend for the faith. How do we prepare? How do we prepare to to ready oneself to contend. You know, there's a, um, a process of training, strengthening the body, the skill, um, studying the opponent, making sure that we can counteract some of the things that our opponent 
is, uh, in, is inclined to do, some patterns, things like that. We study, do you, do you take your faith so serious that you're willing to do that? This is what it requires. Otherwise, you'll find yourself on the mat pinned on your back time and time again. Study, know, understand, and apply the Word of God. Live in it and by it and for it. That's what we are to do. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we need to ask ourselves, first and foremost, are we up to the task? If not, okay. If you're not up to the task, then I tell you, as the word of God tells us, read, study, know, understand, and apply the word of God personally. What are we contending for is the purity of our faith within the fellowship of the saints. Who we are contending with, well, as it says in verse 4, certain people that have crept in unnoticed who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul, uh, this was a moment that he had with the elders uh, of the church in Ephesus. And these are the words that he spoke to them. He said in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 29... He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Apostle Paul was ministered to by the Lord. And Jesus himself, as we see in Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to read here the the parable of the wheat and tares. Um, Verse 24 of Matthew 13, Jesus puts forth this parable. He says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? 
He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And then he explains the parable. If you uh, go down to verse 36, he goes on and he says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. See, the apostle Paul was simply aligning himself with the truth of God's word as Jesus had already taught. Beware. This is what's going to happen. And for some reason, we just think that perhaps this church is different. It's not different. It, it, it's not. We, we, we contend for the faith and the purity of, of the church itself. But just know that when, whenever we, uh, we gather together, there's, there's people involved. And where there are people involved, right? We, we have, we're still in these, in these bodies that are compromised by sin. We have the world contending for our hearts, our minds. Satan himself is desiring to destroy us, to kill us. And so this is true. This is what we have. You see, this is what we're warned of. These people that will claim to be more biblically sound and more virtuous than anyone else, but in reality they are Creepers within the church who end up leaving a trail of destruction and doubt behind them within the church. Beware. This is why we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. It's described to us over and over again. And somehow we get duped into believing and thinking that perhaps this one is different. Listen, at the same time, know this. Crept in unnoticed is what's described here. Unnoticed. Couldn't even tell, tell them apart from any, everyone else. Don't lose heart. Eventually you'll know them by their fruit. As it says in Matthew 7, 16. But you're called, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but... Be a contender for the faith against these creepers. They're, they're out there. They're amongst us. You need to be aware. 
So be contenders. Watch out for the creepers. So this is where they're described, verses 5 through 16. Let's continue. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal life or fire. Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Let's stop there. Now, this is how they're described, ungodly. These are ungodly people, not genuine believers. Although they are among believers, unnoticed by men, but not unnoticed by God. Right? They look and talk and they seem to be one of God's people. Again, that's why they're unnoticed. That, that's why it is that, that we are being warned, this is, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. So don't be shocked when you realize that there's, there's one among us. Don't be shocked. Just know how to handle that. What God desires is that we do learn how to discern and know that a creeper looks like, what a creeper looks like, and so that you don't allow such a person to undermine, distract, or destroy your faith and the purity of the local church. To contend. Remember, it's a continuous struggle. Continuous. And it demands your involvement. Don't leave it to someone else. Remember, this letter was to the church. It was not to the pastor, the elders. It, it wasn't. It was to the, the church. Right? Sometimes we get lazy and we think, oh, this is for, for someone else. It's their job. No, it's our job. Now, this is not a call to be critical of everyone at the same time. So we need to understand that as well. Suspicious of the person to your right or to the person to your left. But it is a letter to make you aware of the reality of the church and to prepare you to respond when you do realize that someone is a creeper intent on tearing down and not building up the church no matter how loud and how often they say they are there to be a part of the church. Don't allow that to distract you or fool you into thinking differently. At the same time, this is, this is where we need to like, not, not get to that point to where it's like, hmm, 
I wonder if it's you. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get there, please. Remember, we are to th- think, think the best of each other. Okay? There's, this is where we, we grow up. I grow up. We need to grow up, right? Think the best of others. And, and, not, and, and uh, it also says that we are to esteem others more than ourselves. The word also tells us that we are to, to do the work of an evangelist and also to disciple others. So if there's someone, and we're going to get there, to where they need to be discipled, they, they need to be addressed or, or confronted that you're willing to do that. Why? Because you desire for them to be reconciled unto the Lord, restored, right? If that's necessary. But have that salvific relationship with Jesus Christ. So you're willing to do that. Verses 5 through 7, as we read, refer to those who were judged for unbelief and those who insisted on indulging in the flesh, such as Egypt, and as we read, Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, what, what we're seeing there as we read through it is that God is able to judge and deliver. For example, and he said, he's able to deliver his people from Egypt And judge not only Pharaoh and those who were unbelieving there, but also Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that were like them in the surrounding areas. That's what he was saying. That's why I wanted to take kind of a, perhaps a a broader view of this letter, of giving us an understanding of, of how it is that the Lord is presenting this to us so we would understand this, the subject of it, the main point and drive it home. God is able to judge correctly and deliver. Yet like these, we have people who rely on their thoughts and feelings. They end up defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, and blaspheming the glorious ones, as it says in verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. He goes on to give an example. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. What we see here in verse 8 is, he's referring to those who rely on their dreams. Those who, in other words, rely on their undisciplined thoughts and feelings. We, we tend to do that a lot today. So we look to our, our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own perspective. Emotions drive us, feelings, a lot of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so we see that we are to be disciplined in our thoughts, uh, taking them captive and then 
as I say often, because these, these minds, are, they're going all the time, aren't they? Even in your time of prayer, when you pray, or perhaps it's just me, but some wild thoughts come in. It's like, you think, man, that is a fiery dart from the enemy right there. That is crazy. It's like, I'm praying to the creator of the universe, right? My Lord, my God, and it just something comes in. So that's why, you know, if, you, if, if it happens in your time of prayer, do you not think that it'll happen any other time? Perhaps when you're not paying attention, right? It's like, boom, something comes in your head. Is that, is that going to honor the Lord? And you have to give it to the Lord. You have to, again, filter it through the truth of God's word. But these people, they, they do not discipline their thoughts. They are deceived by their own thoughts of which they rely upon. They are also known as rejecting the authority God has ordained within the body of believers, the church. And they speak evil of them. Now, again, this is simply describing those who are undermining the very work of the Lord. They are among us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Listen, I'm just going to speak for myself. I know that the leadership here, it, it, as, we, as we plan things, as we do have um, different people assigned to different ministries and they're overseeing those ministries, I sure do hope that those who, are, um, who have committed themselves and uh, volunteer to serve in that way will, will subject themselves to the authority of that person. You know, that's how it works at work, Right? Why would it work any differently here? And even more so here, we, we, would, we would do that, right? Give ourselves willingly, joyfully to what the Lord desires. Listen, I'd rather not have to give an account for you. I, I would rather not. But that is why I take this fellowship so seriously. That's why I am willing to confront things that need to be confronted. I want to be found faithful to the Lord that I may be found contending for the faith and faithfully executing that which has been entrusted to me as Jesus' under-shepherd here at Refuge. Even if you get upset. I'm, nobody asks you to be obedient to your leaders and submit to them just because we want to. You know? I just want to exercise my authority over you. No, no. No. In fact, I, in fact I'm, I'm, uh, I always desire to be able to point you in a certain direction, get, equip you with everything that, that is necessary, and then, and then encourage you. Right? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Serve him with excellence. 
I'd rather come alongside you than continually be, oh, no, 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 not that way, not that, no, go, go, you know, I, no, I, I don't want to do that. Don't desire to do that. So we serve each other in that, just in different places within the body. That, that's all. That, that's it. Well, Jude, Jude goes on to give examples of how they act presumptuously, verses 9 and 10. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Blaspheme without understanding, and are destroyed by acting on instinct as, um, as animals do. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, sick. Who can understand it? You know, if you're relying on your heart, in other words, you know, emotions, feelings, uh, opinions, um, and they are undisciplined, in other words, not given over to the Lord, um, then you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm warning you, you're in trouble, as I would be in trouble if that's what I relied upon. Michael, the archangel, wouldn't, uh, he, he wouldn't even speak against the devil but rather left that to the Lord. Because you know what? The Lord deal with you. That is, even the devil himself is, uh, he's not someone that he wanted to, um, it says here, uh, presumptuously pronounce a blasphemous judgment against him. He wouldn't even do that against the devil. How many of you want to blaspheme the devil? Right? (laughs) I... Probably all of us, right? It's like he seeks to still kill and destroy. Listen, Michael the archangel wouldn't even do that against him. But there are certain men who find it pretty easy to speak against the leaders in the church and act on instinct, heart, feelings, emotions, and not under the governance of the Word of God. And Jude continues on in verse 11 says, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Given examples of that very thing. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, and they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. To these, Jude proclaimed a woe, a warning of condemnation. And in actuality, these people abandon themselves and are doomed to perish in eternal life. They are described, as we read, hidden reefs at your love feasts, the fellowship of the saints. Shallow, dark waters 
are a danger to ships. They can rip a hole in the hole, compromising the integrity of the ship and causing it to take on water, therefore bringing it down and deeming it unworthy. Unworthy. Not seaworthy, but unworthy. In other words, not being able to continue to float and to fulfill the purpose that it was intended to fulfill. Judgment is reserved for these as it has been spoken of. David Guzik said this, quote, It has been rightly observed that whenever a man gets out of touch with God, he is likely to begin complaining about something, close quote. You find yourself complaining, critical about everything. Might be good to stop, just stop, and then just consider yourself, right? Why am I doing this? Am I directing it to the right person? Is my intention sound? Is it pure? Do I even have it right? You need to consider all those things. These are people who are never satisfied, always more concerned about themselves, boasting about themselves, looking to gain personal advantage or uh, elevation by favoring certain people that will help facilitate that. People who are following their own hearts, undisciplined feelings and emotions, as I referred to earlier. And here is the contrast. This is exactly who we are to contend against. We are to be contenders, but these are the people that we need to Make sure that we are willing to confront, contend against, to contend for the purity of the fellowship of the saints. Remembering, this is what we ought to be. We ought to be a people who remembers the word of God. Remember what we've been warned of. Remember the prophecies of God. These are creepers and scoffers as we continue says in verse 17, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. A scoffer is someone who scorns or mocks. Someone who just has a disdain for you. The bottom line is that. Doesn't regard you, but regards themselves. Is not willing to to consider themselves, to humble themselves. Just continues on, seemingly humble, but unwilling to really truly humble themselves. They continue on. They continue on, and they scoff. They they scorn. Again, they may seem confident in righteousness, but time reveals that they are actually following their un, own ungodly passions. Self-centered, unchecked indulgences. Sensuality is referring to the flesh. That's it. And who are in reality worldly people and and do not have the Spirit of God. Because one of the, the works of the Spirit of God is to convict you of your sin. If there's a lack of conviction, like there's nothing there. You just keep insisting on, on your own, whatever it is that your own will is. Even when the word of God, you're confronted with it, then again, I say these things so that in that moment, if you do acknowledge that, that you are aware and then you confess and repent those things and 
don't continue to go down that path. You will note that they are causing divisions. They tend to separate themselves and then encourage others to do the same. They separate themselves, even within the body. This is what happens. I've been in ministry for quite some time, and this is what happens. They separate themselves and then invite others to come along. And then pretty soon you see that whole bunch, what happens is because they're detached from the fellowship of the saints, they go off and do their own thing. And I can tell you over the course of time that those relationships do not last. At some point, at some point, they dismantle. They, they like, misery loves company, right? And so it happens for a while, and then it, it just dismantles. That's, I've seen that over and over and over again, unfortunately. These are ungodly passions, In verse 20, let's wrap this up. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And then there's a wonderful word of encouragement that Jude closes with, and, and I'll leave with the actual closing here. But these are, these are the keepers. We'll, we're called to be contenders and keepers. But you remember God's word. Build up your faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Is what we read. Keep or stay in harmony with God's love and wait for or hope for the mercy of Jesus Christ and eternal life. So this is what you do personally to contend for the faith. You make sure you're not what's been described already, but rather a genuine child of God in Christ who is building up and not tearing down. And as we read through, I hope you acknowledge that you are responsible for your own spiritual growth. No one will do it for you. It won't happen without effort, reading, studying, application of the word. As we read here, we also understand we need to have compassion on those who doubt. You have doubt? Okay. That's fine. We, we need to come alongside you. That you would be confident in the Lord. Help those who are genuinely desiring to know but are having trouble exercising their faith. Help them. Let's help each other. Have compassion on some, but others you will need to snatch them out of the fire. You know, there's, uh, there are um, those who need a person. There, there are some who need a hand to pick them up out of the mud, right? And then there are those who are falling back into the fire. Do you handle, do you handle both the same way? What, what, what would you do? Let me ask you this. What would you do if, um, for those of you who have children, saw as you went out camping perhaps and you had a campfire and you you saw your child starting to fall toward the fire. You'd grab them? Wouldn't you tell them, hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That might hurt. Would Would you then, once he or she fell into the fire, would you like reach in there like, No. It's different, right? 
In the same way, when you see someone falling back into the fire, it's different. It's with love and not pride, but you need to snatch them out, like now, right? Those who have stumbled, those who are doubting, treat them like as if they've fallen in something and help them, help them out of it. But there's a difference, and he says, be mindful, be mindful of, of those two. And then he closes with some very encouraging words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You see, Jesus is able to keep you. Do you belong to him? Even if you lose your footing, if you are connected to Jesus, you will not fall to your death. You will be upheld by his righteous right hand. He'll bring you safely home. Do you belong to him? Contend for, church, contend for, and persevere in the faith. Always trust in the Lord and make sure you are aware, aware of creepers and scoffers and don't allow them to lead you astray by undermining your faith. Stay strong. Know the word. Apply it. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not satisfy the lusts of the flesh. Father, we thank you. Lord, for your word is true. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your sovereignty, your power. Lord, we thank you that we belong to you. I do pray for the purity of this church. I do ask, Lord, that you would help us to be strong. And Lord, willing also, as we gain an understanding of your word, that we would apply it with love toward each other. And that we would be willing to confront each other with the word of God. Lord, minding ourselves as well. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for any one who's here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord, today, may today be the day of salvation. May they be sure today, knowing that their sin separate, has separated them from you, Father, and yet you sent your Son to die in their place for their sin. And by believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for their sins, was resurrected after three days of being in the grave for the one who ascended after 40 days of appearing to the disciples and the apostles I believing on him all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved as it says in Romans 10 13 Lord I pray father that there are those here who are willing to and desire to simply surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and know that they have the hope of eternal life today and so, Lord, we, we commit ourselves to you. We ask that you would do a saving work and a sanctifying work, and that your word would resonate in our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.